In Matthew chapter 21, verse 21 now, uh, New Testament, Matthew 21. And Jesus answered them and saying, Verily I say unto you, if we have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, that is, curse the fig tree and it died, and also if, but also if we say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And so when Jesus was here, he spoke to us about this, um, let's go back a step. When people interacted with Jesus, the reason that Jesus was as famous as Jesus was, wasn't that he was telling people that what he was saying was the truth. Everybody in the religious community always tells us that what they're saying to us is the truth. What was awesome about what Jesus did is Jesus demonstrated in his day a proficiency to have supernatural power demonstrated in his life. And then the, 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 the New Testament now, let's take the once Jesus' death and burial, resurrection, ascension, the book of Acts begins. The book of Acts was so successful in spreading Christianity throughout the known world at that time, again, not because they went around telling everybody that what they are telling them is the truth is the truth. Does that make sense? Did I, did I synapse on that one too? It, the kingdom was not built, let me say it like this, the kingdom was not built on, <laughs> oh dear, I was hoping to be a little further along before I said this, uh, the kingdom was not built on revelation. It was not, not that it wasn't built on revelation, it wasn't built on an enormous sum of intellectual understanding of everything that the uh, that the Bible says. A matter of fact, if you take a look at what your roots in Christianity, typically your roots in Christianity don't come from the Jewish nation. A lot of the work in the beginning of the book of Acts, because it was Paul predominantly who was a central figure of the book of Acts, he was you know, aggressively trying to uh, minister to the Jewish people because that was his roots. But a lot of the, uh, the, progr the, the, uh, the wildfire of the New Testament happened in the Gentile nations. Now remember, the Gentile nations did not have the Old Testament as their root. So they didn't go to them and say, okay, let's bring all my scrolls of the New Testament. Let's start in the book of Genesis and let's start studying the Old Testament and, and squeezing out of the Old Testament all of the revelation that is possible that a Jewish person would have had. That's not how they did it. The, 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 we didn't have Bibles like we have them today, where every person had a Bible in their home. Typically, there would be a community of people around a synagogue or a temple, and the, the scrolls would be in the, there'd be one set. And they may not have a complete set. They would have whatever scrolls, you know, like you see in the old movies, you know, the un unroll the scroll kind of a thing. So to have a complete set of the Bible, you would need a station wagon because that's how many there were. There was one scroll for every book. And so uh, the, the, I'm saying that to say this, we've got off track in what really matters in the kingdom. Now, I'm a word preacher, and so even as I'm putting these notes together, I'm arguing on every line with God 
because I don't want this to be true. I'm an intellectual person, so I like the fact that the Bible is hard to understand and I have to work to understand it. So I don't want it to be about not having an intellectual component to it. I don't like that concept. But the reality, the historic reality, is that Doug and Cora right there? Did I just see them? You look a little different. Hi, Doug and Cora. How are you? <coughs> Sorry. It's a synaptic thing. You know, a little too many yellow lines gone by me in the last little while. <laughs> so the, the historical understanding of the wildfire experience of the New Testament wasn't based on all of this intellectual activity. It wasn't the knowledge, the great, like even as Pastor Tina says, most people say, it's the high knowledge of God. That, no, it's not. It's the deep knowledge of God, the low level. It's on the bottom floor, the stuff that we need. And when we take a look at the real way that the New Testament was ignited in the book of Acts, we realize they didn't have the Old Testament. There weren't, they weren't scholars. They weren't theologians. And they didn't have, they didn't start Bibles. And I'm not against Bible schools. I'm not against word churches. But realizing that's not the essential component is what's important. And then second of all, I've said this to you before, but the Lord said to me uh, probably a year ago now, he said, did you know that the book of Acts didn't have the book of Acts? I thought he was being funny until I thought about what he said that we experienced the supernatural spread of the New Testament concept all around the known world before we wrote the book of Acts, before we wrote the book of Romans, or anything after, the, uh, really, you know, we could say we could go to Acts chapter 3, let's say, and everything after that really was more common current daily news rather than it being a book. And so all of this activity is starting when all anybody is talking about is Jesus and what Jesus said. They're going around saying, you know, remember this little story? The woman lost a coin, swept it up, found the coin, rejoiced, whoa, whoa, and go to the next person and tell them the same thing. Oh, there was this guy, found a treasure, sold everything he had, bought the treasure, whoa, whoa. That was what it all it was. But they were getting, they were understanding something about what was being said that transformed the world. The world before then and everywhere other than there was a barbaric world, even historically. I mean, we didn't do so great in kingdom either, but the world was a barbaric world. This whole concept of love and selflessness and believing and all of these kind of things. That was like gobbledygook. That was, give me a sword. And yet the kingdom of God transformed the world. When we read this now, this is Jesus, and it's very, this is tip of the spear kind of stuff. Jesus is demonstrating this supernatural power everywhere he goes. Like you'd have, you know, the room would fill up with a thousand sick people, and then Everybody's healthy. Not have a healing line, and then there's no reference, there's no, there's no information about that. Jesus had a healing line, and they brought it through the fire tunnel. And I'm not against any of these things. I think they're awesome, but they're, they're not essentials. That's what I'm trying to, do. I'm trying to define for you. The, you'll discover, if we can get there, 
that the essentials of operating in supernatural power in our lives is very, very, very simple. What we've done is we've created, and if you look at the history, you know, the, 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 Jesus is here, then the apostles are here, and then the kingdom kind of falls apart continually over the next couple hundred years until uh, one of the Roman emperors made it a state religion. And then it became just a place where theologians, academics, would argue about what the Bible said and, you know, which book goes in the Bible and what does this mean and what does that mean? And it became an intellectual exercise. And then when these theologians, the smart people, now it's kind of like we've kind of flipped our world upside down now. In the olden days, like olden days being 200 years ago till the beginning of time, the smart people, they were useless people. They typically didn't want to work. They weren't strong. They just thought about things. And you didn't get paid back then to think about things. You got paid to do things. And so they didn't know what to do with all these smart people. And the smart people would drive them crazy. You ever been around a smart person who thinks they're smart? They're correcting you all the time. They don't want, they, people don't want that stuff around. So I think they built Bible schools in order to house all of these smart people. So that they would like, you know, get out of the way. And then we go to church on Sunday and listen to all these smart people who have spent their whole week trying to decide which of them is the smartest guy in the room. And then they would get up and teach you all the smart things that they learned from the Bible, which is awesome. I think it's great to have smart things about the Bible. I think God has got a pretty decent brain on him. But that's not what the New Testament is about. We've made it about that. Even in my own teachings, you know, I kind of lean this way myself, not the smart part, the intellectual part. And so I kind of lean that way myself. If I can find a scripture in Greek, go back to the Hebrew, come back to Greek, give it to you in English. I just don't know why I hear all this snoring in the back of the room. But can I tell you something where God is forcing me to deal with the, this thing at the basics it's like on the ground floor. Jesus says, if you can believe and doubt not, then say and receive. Say that with me. Say, believe and doubt not. Say and receive. I just have to believe, doubt not, then say and then receive. Does that sound complicated to anybody in the room? We love going into Paul's writings, you know, the sentences that go on for paragraphs, and then we want to quote them to each other thinking that this is what it means to be spiritually on fire. Can I tell you what John chapter 18 says, verse 9? <laughs> and we've, this, we've made a culture out of this. And can I tell you something? We have to spin that whole culture around. I, I'm not against you knowing things. I'm against you thinking that because you know them, yeah. Come on. that that makes you a spiritual person. That's not true. Yeah. And we have to deal with that. We have to get back to the place where if we really want the kingdom to seize this next 20 years of time, this is a magical 20 years, never been experienced before in thousands of years, when religion is dead and the kingdom gets to come out in all of its glory. Uninhibited, unhindered, uninhibited. You know, the Lord was speaking with me. I'm, I'm way off script here. 
The Lord was speaking to me the other day. You know, we, we have uh, th- there's sort of three or four generations of people, over, f- over 55, then over 45, then over 35, then over 25, let's say. And each of those decade people, whichever your age is, you think differently, dramatically differently than the decade before you. You know, the over 55s, they still want God to be in control and God's responsible for everything. And then the next generation wants me to be in control and I do everything. And then the next generation down really doesn't really believe anything much. And then the next, the, the, the next generation down is, are these 20, this, this 25 to 35 age group that is really looking for God. They're not really looking for religion. They're actually anti-religion. If we do things too religiously, then mm, that, mm, I'm out. They're looking for something that's actually real, practical, applicable in their life. And so the kingdom is the answer to that. The book of Acts tells us that. That the kingdom isn't all about this intellectual exercise. Although it has a lot to do, you know, the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness is all about, you know, understanding the ways of God. But can I tell you something? The farther we go along understanding things that we don't have operationally in our lives is kind of like reading the instruction manual and going all the way through the instruction manual before you start. How many of you ever tried to do that? Can I tell you, that's not a good way to do it. You just go step one, and you do put this bolt in this hole, screw it tightened up. Okay, step two. But if you try to go to, you know, you just fake it and then start in the middle, that doesn't work either. You have to go and just understand the simple, basic principle that Jesus came in order to reveal to us. And let's make sure that we understand that principle. It's not like there's 50 principles. There's just really one. And then when you get this one, then you can reach forward and say, okay, and now that I get this one, I'm going to reach forward and get another one, but I'm not going to race forward. And you, I'll, under, I'll help you to understand why. It's actually wrong to do it that way. It's not that I just recommend you don't do it. It's actually wrong to do it like that. Because what it does when we get, when we have unbelief in our lives, so we are, you know, let's say we just came into the, if I, I just, let's speak over I just came into the kingdom this morning and I prayed the prayer like somebody in this room or several of you may have done this morning and say, okay, I'm coming into the kingdom of God and I'm ready to do this. You really don't know anything about the ways of God yet, which is okay. We're not expecting you to know. What you do know is a lot about the ways of this world, natural ways. And then what we begin to do then is we keep, we give you a little bit of information, but every week you come back and you get more information. Unless unbelief inside of your heart has turned into belief. If my belief that, you know, the world is natural and scientific, and now we're trying to understand that below natural and scientific is a different operating system that actually runs the world. Now, you may not have known that until today. The more information I give you about how the kingdom operates before the kingdom is actually operating in your life, 
what I'm actually doing is creating an environment for doubt to increase. Because imagine if we did this. So let's say that your first time you prayed for somebody. Oh, that's not mine. The first time you prayed for somebody. I got one. The person was a dead person. And we were all watching. And so they say, oh, you got saved today? Okay, come on up here. And I'd like you to just just bring a couple cadavers in. And we're going to have you, the person who just prayed today, we're going to get you to raise that person from the dead. Because that's right there in your Bible that you can do that. Now, how many know the likelihood? No, actually, it's, higher, it's more likely that that person can do it than a church person can do it, by the way. But for the sake of my metaphor, now that person comes in and they try to do it. They don't know how to do it. Say, okay, uh, okay, get up. <laughs> and a person doesn't get up. Come back next Sunday. They wouldn't, but let's say they came back next Sunday. <laughs> and you say, okay, time to try it again. Did you know they had a better chance of getting that person raised from the dead the first time they tried it than the second time? Do you know why? Excuse me? Because of the doubt. Because they tried and failed before they had no, they they didn't know. Maybe that is how you do it. And so then they failed and now they look at it and go, well, I, I can't. Or it might work out really bad like last time and now we have doubt in the equation And how many of you know what happens when you put doubt in the equation? There could have been an enormous spiritual power on the inside of that person with the potential to raise that person from the dead. And now that they doubt, how much? No, it can't be half. No, it's zero. Turn over with me in James chapter 1. God speaking now through the book of James at the beginning, the very first verses of the book of James tells us that if a person doubts, they should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. They should not expect any spiritual power to be operational in their life if they have doubt. And so the way we do the kingdom, because we are doing it on an intellectual level, we're doing it on seven steps to raise somebody from the dead. And most of the steps are subjective. And so it's, you, need to, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray in tongues. You need to go to church. You need to speak the word. You need to, oh, how much do I need to? The devil says that you're just, you're, you're a sitting duck for the devil. Because he's got all these subjective rules that you're trying to follow. And you're, he's saying, well, you didn't go to church enough. You didn't read enough. You didn't pray in tongues enough. How much doubt did you have? And you see, we're, because the whole concept of the way we do North American church doesn't recognize this foundational point of doubt not. It doesn't recognize that if I see somebody doing something that, they, that I know they shouldn't be doing, it isn't my job at that moment to get them to change. It is my job at some point to help them, but not at that moment. Because I can get, I can do doubt, I can create an environment of doubt in their life. Instead, what we have to be doing is we have to prize above our doctrine. (sighs) 
I don't think the next thousand years of the kingdom is going to be based on doctrine. I think doctrine is what divides us. And doctrine is what makes us doubt. The next thousand years of the kingdom is going to be about the demonstration of the power of the kingdom. And the demonstration of the power of the kingdom is believe, doubt, say, and receive. Uh, excuse me. Believe, doubt, not, say, and receive. It's a simple formula. If we start bringing all, I'm not saying doctrine is unimportant. I'm a, please, I'm not telling you heresy. I'm not telling you go home, burn your Bible. There's, you need, as Pastor Alex says, you need to know what to believe. But can I tell you something? I, was, I think I've said it to you before. I might be repeating myself. <laughs> yellow line, yellow line, yellow line, yellow line. <laughs> what was I going to say? You have to, yeah. You, we, were ta- we were making jokes while we were away about getting a tattoo. Tina and I do not have tattoos. We are not going to get tattoos. But if I ever did get a tattoo, I would get... Luke 15:31 tattooed on me. Because I think you can just with one scripture. Beloved, I am with you always. All that I have is yours. That's one line of your Bible. Can I ask you how much of your life would be transformed if all you got was God is always with me. Everything he has is mine. And he loves me. We've, we've made a career out of rem- memorizing, you know, Genesis to maps, which is awesome. I think we should do that. But not, at the, not when we can have one simple little bit of truth and have that thing transform our lives. And realizing what a difference that if we would just believe it. Can I tell you something? We live in a society that has been built on the process of doubting. Do you know how we, is that Livia? Hi, Livia. No, she can come up here. I love that little child. She's just preaching. She's just getting ready back there. Can I tell you, there's a science, you know the way science operates? They call it the scientific method. That is, you get a theory about something, and then you test it, and then you analyze your results, analyze, and then you build another theory. So this process is built on the fact that as I go through the theory to the testing place, I'm expecting that it's not going to work. That's what the process is all about. It's called trial and error. And so everything about the world, the way we learn things, the way that we have been taught to learn things, is through the process of trial and error. It's by doubting from the beginning that, we are, that it's going to work. But then in the, that it's, we're doubting it's going to work, which means we're expecting it not to work. But as we see it not working, maybe we'll figure out some stuff that'll help us to make it work a little bit. That whole process that we have learned, our societal mechanism is to use doubt 
is to take a concept like the scriptures, unfortunately, and we apply the scriptures in the same model. I'm going to take the scriptures and go home and try it to see if it will work. Can I tell you something? If you are trying to see if it's going to work, it's not going to work. That's just, that's what that, the basics. That's the basic formula. Believe, doubt not, say, receive. When we take the scriptures and instead of just believing them because they have this other world nature to them, we subject the scriptures to the same process that we subject everything else to. Can I tell you, you young generation, can I tell you one of the primary t-shirts of this younger generation? Challenge everything except nothing. Thank you. So everything that they get, everything you young people get, is put through the same process of testing. That no matter what I, nobody, they tell me that gravity works, prove it. They tell you that the stars are further away than the moon, prove it. They tell you that wheat bread is better than white bread, prove it. Everything to them is on the chopping block. Question everything except nothing. Is that, is that the, that's it again? Except nothing. nothing, question everything. Put everything through the scientific model. When you get the word of God, you treat it as a theory. And then you test that theory to see if it works. If it fails, you go back and build another theory. That's how we do it. And the kingdom has been operating under this principle for hundreds of years, trying to make the, the scriptures work because we try them. Give it a go. How can it hurt? Instead, the scripture was, and the early church did not do things based on that model. Remember the guy that could walk on water and feed 20,000 people with a filet of fish sandwich? You know, the guy that raised himself from the dead? He had credential. His word, when they, when they said, here's what you do, believe, doubt not, say, and receive. Oh, yes, you know what I might do? I might just test that out, you know, see how it works. Maybe you're wrong, Jesus. <laughs> that happened not ever because the guy could walk on water. The guy was obviously a scholar. He obviously knew what he was talking. And he said to them, if you would like to do what I just did to the fig tree, you'd like to do it to a fig tree. Like if you get off on that stuff, fine. But you know what you can do? You can do this with mountains. You can say, you mountain, get out of here, get cast into the sea. And if you will, simply believe, doubt not, say and receive. Can I tell you something? That mountain is going to be chucking itself into the sea before you can blink. And Jesus said, don't complicate it any more than that. Just get one scripture. One. You can even borrow mine, the one that was written for Pastor Ian. Because that's the best one and go after it until you believe it. Doubt not. You can say it. Can I tell you, I hear so many Christians say this, you know, 
What do you believe? I'm believing God. What for? I'm believing for money. How much? A billion dollars. Can I tell you something? It doesn't, it's not like that. We have to become like really good at understanding ourselves. And when we're believing, are you really believing for something? And when you're facing it, when the, when the wolf is at the door, when the gun is cocked and loaded and in your temple, can you believe? Can you doubt not at that moment? Can I tell you something? We were taught to doubt. You know Olivia back there? She does not doubt tomorrow's breakfast. Does not give it a thought. Life teaches you how to doubt. Doubt is a product of experience. So if we learn to doubt, can I tell you something? It's a simple. We can learn to doubt not. Doubt is just a human response to the ways of spiritual life. When I use my natural eyes to see spiritual power in operation, and it doesn't look like it's working. And that starts to work on my brain because I'm very used to seeing with my natural eyes. I just have to start not worrying about whether I can see it with my natural eyes. Learn the skill of keeping your brain focused so that it remains on the picture of the promise of God. And it doesn't take a lot. You know, can I tell you something? This is what I've noticed because I'm not really good at this. But if you just can focus yourself for a minute a day and line up everything in your life to say to believe the thing that you need, if it's health or whatever, then you ex put your expectancy, put the picture in your mind, and then say the things that you need to say and then receive it. Pastor Tina was saying, just thank God for it. If you just do that, even a minute a day, time yourself. Use one of those egg timers that we have in the bookstore. And focus for just that short amount of time. And then for the rest of the day, don't say a thing except hello and goodbye. Just zip it up. Don't short circuit the process by using it in reverse. Can I tell you something? You're going to start seeing supernatural things happening in your life. And it's going to, sh it's going to make you laugh. It's going to be like, oh my gosh. Just from that simple minute. Because it's just like the battery terminal I told you about at the beginning. It's just a second that we release this power. Now we can get better. If you can do it for a minute, I'll come back next week and I'll ask you if you can do it for two. And then the week after that, I'm going to see if you can do it for three. And then a year from now, you can do it 24-7. You just have to learn how to stop the doubt. Intercept it. Realizing that this doubt, this nanosecond of doubt,
as I'm trying to release spiritual power into my world is nullifying that spiritual power. All I have to do in right now is not doubt. In any area of your life, can I tell you, while we were away, I always had to do this. We Chick-fil-A'd it all the way there and all the way back. Salt and chicken and french fries and coffee, Starbucks, cream, sugar. And I'm trying all the way for the, I don't know how long we were away, nine days or 10 days or something like that. And I'm forcing myself to doubt not, to eat those french fries and love them. I had a hard time. You laugh, but you probably have a hard time too. Because you love them and you eat them, but you eat them knowing that you shouldn't eat them. I'm not giving you license to eat them, by the way. I'm telling you, learn how to do what you do without doubting. In every area of your life. But you see those thoughts, they come in and 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 come in all day long. And Jesus said, if you let those things just run rampant in your mind, you're literally going to shut off your spiritual power. Put your hand over your heart and say, Lord, you need to teach me how to get control of all the doubt that is constantly filtering in and through my world. I declare today that I am doubt free in everything. I have faith and doubt not. In Jesus' name, amen.